Welcome to episode five. Today's episode is one a lot of people will relate to because it covers an experience we've likely all had before, the quarter life crisis. Today I'm chatting with Gigi Ugboma, who's the founder of Cleverish Magazine, a digital publication and resource dedicated to helping young people navigate their quarter life crisis and mental health. Gigi is passionate about championing the discourse of self-actualization, mental health, and identity for young adults. She believes that with the right content and community, young people can be better, be equipped, and be empowered to figure it out. She's a writer, digital marketing strategist, and an ardent creative at heart. Hi there, I'm Isabel Kateman, and I run Stripe Dog Creative a website strategy and design firm dedicated to helping service-based entrepreneurs create strategic and elegant websites so they can attract their dream clients, raise their prices, and scale their businesses. I'm so excited to have you here for the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast. Tune in each week to hear practical business advice, tips on embracing and learning from failure, trust me, it's going to happen, and real talk on trying to create a balanced life as an entrepreneur for my guest experts and, of course, from me. Ready to turn those dreams into a reality? Let's do it. Gigi, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, so I'm so excited for today's topic. I think you have come across something really interesting here, and I think people are going to be very excited to kind of hear about this and talk about it because I think a lot of people can really relate to what you're talking about. But before we kind of jump into the quarter life crisis and what all of that means, why don't you tell us a little bit about your really interesting journey of how you got here? Yeah, so I live in New York City. I moved here in the fall of 2019. So right before the global pandemic, but, you know, I was in the city for a few months before everything shut down. And I moved here to get a master's in media management from the new school. So, you know, I ended up doing the second half of that program. It was a two-year program. I ended up doing the second half over Zoom, which is not... Ideal, but it was still great. It was still a great experience. So yeah, right now I work as a writer and a digital marketing strategist, and I'm also the founder of Cleverish. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about how you decided to start a magazine of all things, especially in this day and age, although I know it's digital, but how did you kind of come up with the idea and how did you decide that this was something that you wanted to pursue? You know, despite the fact that I always loved writing and I've always been a creative, like loved literature and all that, I went to undergrad and I was an econ major. You know, I studied economics and then I got a master's in business. And during my master's program, I wrote a lot of research papers because I love to write. And my mentor and my boss, I was a research assistant and my boss, a mentor, she's like, you're really good at this. You should get a PhD. I'm like, no, I just love to write. I'm not passionate about this. And she's much older, like a great lady. She was a Harvard alum from the Harvard Business School, you know, a champion of business strategy. So, you know, I was grateful to have her as a mentor. And, you know, I took her thoughts into consideration, but, you know, I didn't want it. And she's like, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Trust me, you want to get a PhD. So after I graduated from my master's program, I started working at a marketing firm and she sent me this internal memo of a PhD program studying in Madrid. And she was like, you should apply. And, 
you know, I felt the pressure, you know, not to disappoint her, but also it was a full ride scholarship. It was in Spain. I'm like, "Mm, this sounds like a pretty good deal. If I do say so myself, like to hell with passion, take me to Europe. Right. (laughs) Totally. And also I was like, I probably am not going to get it. So I put in my application anyways, and I got it. I got it was an exclusive program, only 16 candidates. You know, it's a PhD, so they pay you every month. You know, they were paying, it's like living expenses every month and complete tuition scholarship fully paid. So, you know, I packed up my things and I moved to Spain. And it was a five-year program, more or less. My friends who are still in the program, <laughs> they're like, Gigi, now I think we're good. it's going to be seven years. I'm like, of course <laughs> But oh, always PhDs always take longer than people think. Yeah, I do not envy them, but you know, they are passionate about it. But anyway, yeah, long story short, I started the program and it was great. It was a great program. But like you said, a PhD is very intense. And if you're not passionate about it, you know, I watched myself just withering away. You know, I was, I really hated it. I was at a turning point in my life which, you know, I would say like the tipping point of my quarter life crisis is, you know, I was in something that was good. I should be proud. Everyone's congratulating me, but I was not passionate about it. And after much deliberation, I got enough courage and I dropped out of the program. And, you know, I told myself, there's no going back. You know, now it's time to do what you've always wanted to do. You know, I continued in this career path that I wasn't passionate about, but was a safe path. And I'd built on it and built on it till like ended up, you know, in this PhD program and then dropping out. Right. And so I told myself, either you do what you always wanted to do or, you know, what are you doing? What more can you lose? Right. So I took a month off and I just napped. I think I was depressed. (laughs) I was just a zombie in my apartment, just doing nothing. And then I traveled to France for a few months just to chill. And then I started Cleverish. And I know it sounds romantic. I mean, France is romantic, but I was very stressed, you know, dropped out of school, no income in a different country, not that I'm complaining, Paris was great, but I just sat down one night and I just created the website. And I'd been taking notes on like what the name would be, you know, and all that. And I cannot remember the moment the inspiration for Cleverish came, but it was something I thought about for weeks. So yeah, that's how I started it. Yeah, I love that. And I think So much is glamorized in this kind of freelancer solopreneur. I think so many people, you know, like you so easily, for example, on Instagram, if you were doing Instagram at the time, could have been like, oh, I'm on a balcony in Paris, like creating this new business. And you could have made it seem like it was this super romantic, incredible thing. But I think what I am hoping to do with this podcast and what I like to do just in full transparency, you know, in reality and with my clients is be so honest about the struggles that entrepreneurs face. It is one of the hardest jobs you'll ever have in your life, probably next to maybe, you know, motherhood, obviously, which is very (laughs) difficult. Yes. But there's so much uncertainty. There's so much that's riding purely on your shoulders. And 
it often comes from a very kind of romanticized dream of you either want to help people or you want to be that editor in chief, or you want to do all these incredible things. But I think it's very easy when you look back on it to be like, oh, it was a little bit of a tough time and it wasn't a big deal. And like now I'm here and it's amazing. But I think it's so important, especially for people who are starting out to be very honest about how incredibly difficult it is. And so when you were, especially when you were just starting and you were kind of developing it, what was it that kind of kept you motivated? Like, how did you keep yourself going? You know, you said you were probably depressed at the time and maybe didn't even realize it, but like, what made you get up in the morning? What made you kind of decide to keep going and actually do it? Yeah, no, very great point. And just to speak to what you said about it being a little bit of a tough time, it was a very tough time. You know, I was on Instagram. I was posting the photos of me at a cafe in Paris, but everyone still thought I was in my PhD Mm. program, including my family. Wow. You know, so I was a fraud, (laughs) (laughs) you know, I was, so I didn't share like, oh, I'm building a business. I just was like, mom, you know, I didn't say anything. It was so tough. I had to move out of my apartment when I got back to Spain because I had lost my source of income. And so I moved in with some friends and I had to find a job save up and then move into another apartment and it is just to speak to what you say it is very tough and there are many realities that people don't speak on of oh you know drop out of school is romanticized drop out and follow your dreams quit your job and follow your dreams well I dropped out of a PhD program so I still had an undergrad degree and an MBA right so if you're listening to this please don't drop out of college like (laughs) no right? Or quit your job and follow your dreams, build your business. I still had to find a job, you know, because Claybridge wasn't going to start making money, you know, right away. I still had to find something to do, which I did eventually. I first started teaching English in Spain, which is like, it's a huge market for, you know, English tutors. And then before I started doing like freelance digital marketing online and copywriting, So it's not a smooth ride and it's not as romantic as a lot of people make it out to be. Yeah, totally. And I think you bring up a really good point. I think a lot of people don't realize, and I know when I was starting my business, I didn't see it talked about, is that very, very, very rarely, and you would need to be so well-connected for this to happen. Do you like quit your job on Friday and then your business starts making money on Monday? Like, I feel like so many businesses take years to even like be in the positive because you have to invest so much in like websites and marketing. And if you bring on a business coach or you do kind of any of those things, or even just to get enough clients to be able to have like a full-time income from your business. So like, I know mine was a side hustle from 2017 to 2020. Like it was literally a side hustle for three years because it wasn't making enough money. And I was kind of still building it up in order for it to be like my primary source of income. And so I think it's so important too to talk about that because I think you can see so much on, especially with social media of people acting as though like, oh, they just quit their job one day. And then suddenly three weeks later, they got so lucky. And like, you know, all these clients started pouring in and their business was making money. And now they're a full-time this or a full-time that. And I think it's so important for people to realize like how tough it is in the beginning and how normal it is for it to be a side hustle until it can become your primary source of income. You make a very great point of the side hustle, which is something we try to cover in Cleverish on how to start a side hustle while in your day job, right? 
or, you know, how to pursue your passion. You can ease into it. And a lot of times people who present themselves to be so successful, oh, my business is six figures or whatnot. It is a side business. You know, I have a friend who she's an SEO specialist and she started her business and, you know, started following business coaches, quote unquote, on Instagram to see what they're doing and started reaching out to some of them, you know, just to get that community. And one who she had admired so much, she found out her business was just a side thing. She had a full-time job and her business wasn't making, she had said she made six figures in a month or something. And it was just like a fake representation because that client assigned her for like six plus months or something. So she was making maybe like 1500 a month on this client. And, you know, she packaged it differently to tell this success story. So, you know, back to your point of like a side hustle, there has to be a plan. You know, you can't pay your rent with wishes and dreams you know, you have to have some kind of balance between a structure and pursuing what you need to do. And it takes a lot. I've learned so much about myself from building a business and managing a company. You know, I remember when I hired writers, I had to, I told my friend, like, I think I need to read about being a manager. You know, it's, I have to learn this, you know, like what books should I buy? Because there's so much about running a business, you wear so many hats, but also it's not an exact science. Yeah. So yeah, there's just, you know, to like summarize these, there's a process to things, there's a learning curve to things, and it's okay to balance starting your business, pursuing your passion with, you know, a full-time job or, you know, some kind of structured source of income. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think those are all great points. And so In terms of Cleverish, tell us a little bit about what your goals are, like what you're hoping to help, what kind of topics you cover there. Yeah, of course. So Cleverish is a magazine about quarter life crisis, right? And just, you know, when I say that people tend to understand what it is right away, they're like, "Mm, me, (laughs) you're like, Gigi. I probably am going through a quarter life crisis or I am going through a quarter life crisis. But just for the sake of clarity, the most like summarized definition is a quarter life crisis is a period of doubt, anxiety, disappointment, and insecurities surrounding the career, relationships, financial situation, and general direction of a young person's life. So basically, it's when you're in your early to mid 20s, early 30s. And you're trying to be an adult, right? There's so many paths to navigate with that. There's so many things you're learning about yourself. You have to make big decisions about your career, relationships, you know, your financial responsibility is changing now. You're no longer on your parents' health insurance. You have to do this, you have to do that. And a lot of people feel very confused and lost when they go through this period. And almost everyone if not, goes through this. Even those who have a stable, well-paying job, you know, they get to a point of, you know, I want to have more meaning with what I do, you know. And everyone, I think, experiences some kind of crisis and it's triggered by different things. So Cleverish Magazine, you know, exists to be a resource and a community to help people 
going through a quarter life crisis, you know, provide them with the right content and guidance to navigate this period. And what I try to communicate is it's not bad. It's not a bad thing to experience. If I do say so myself, I think it's actually necessary because it triggers growth, right? It triggers a coming of age into who you are. And once people, I think, are able to be at peace with their crisis, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like opposites, but to be like, okay, I'm going through a crisis, but it's totally fine. A lot of people go through this. I just need to learn to navigate it and I'm better off, right? And so the, in summary, like the mission of Cleverish is to, you know, be a resource to people going through a quarter life crisis. Yeah. And I love that. And I think, you know, until I met you, I hadn't actually heard the term, but just like you said, the minute we talked the first time and you told me about the term, I was like, oh my God, that makes so much sense. And like everyone I know, me included, has like gone through this once, if not multiple times. Yes. So, you know, obviously you kind of went through this before you started, but what made you decide that this was going to be the focus of Cleverish? Like, how did you know that this is what you wanted to focus on? So basically, since I was going through a quarter life crisis, that's all I could talk about. (laughs) That's all I could talk about and write about. But yeah, to, you know, once I started Cleverish, I knew definitely I didn't want it to be a fashion magazine. And you know, that was like a strong opinion I had because a lot of the magazines that I loved and I read were fashion magazines, which is great. I love fashion, you know, and lifestyle and all those things. But I knew that was not my mission. That was not what my heart was calling out to. So I just started to write. I started to write about my experiences. I started to write about what I was thinking. I started to write about what I was discussing with my friends. So Madrid... So I was I was in Madrid, Spain. Madrid is a very cosmopolitan city, but it's also a transient city where young people come, they stay for a couple of years and then they leave or they kind of come to escape their lives. Like a lot of Americans, you know, they're there teaching English for a couple of years and then they move back to the States to face reality. You know, you teach English, drink cheap wine, travel around Europe. So a lot of people I was meeting, they were like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I just, let's go, you know, let's go get tapas. I'll face reality in a couple of years when I go back to the States and, you know, Europeans and different countries. So I was having these conversations with friends and people I was meeting and everyone was relating to what I was saying you know, they were going through what I was going through in different ways and different levels of intensity. So yeah, it just naturally gravitated towards that. Yeah. And so why, you know, to me, at least it seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, but to me, it seems like our parents' generation and their parents' generation kind of had one job and you were excited to have that one job and you were excited to have a job that you know, at the time probably paid decently well and had, you know, healthcare and allowed you to buy a home and have a family and all of this. And I think, you know, somewhere I saw a statistic, and I'm sure this is outdated at this point, that the average millennial will change jobs seven times. Yeah. And I'm sure with Gen Z, it's probably even higher. So why do you think it's so common for like our generation, the millennial generation or the Gen Z generation to kind of have this quarter life crisis, whereas it wasn't as common in the past? Yeah, good point. I think it's happened with other generations. It's definitely heightened with our generation millennials and Gen Z, right? Which is also the target audience for Cleverish, just to slide that in there. 
But there are so many factors. One I can point out right away is the gig economy, the rise of the gig economy, right? I just wrote, um, finished writing an article for a different publication on millennials and wealth building. And from I interviewed a couple of experts and one main issue is the gig economy does not allow for stability, right? It does not allow for stability or for long-term planning. And so you have, you know, being an Uber driver, Uber Eats delivery, Fiverr, Upwork, and all these. And so, you know, there's a supply, I would say, and also a demand, right? Another reason I would say it's this generation with technology and social media, there's a bit more space for freedom, freedom to express your truest self, your creative self, to express your truest identity. You know, people do not, our generation does not feel the need to conform and fit into a status quo, right? We're rule breakers, we're like game changers, and we're all the things, including all the disadvantages that come with those, right? All the generations, you know, they just work and get paid minimum wage and buy a house that's not possible now which leads to my third point of just the state of the economy right millennials have lived through so many world-changing crises we graduated just at the point of the 2008 crisis a lot of people so they graduated into a very bad to be prosaic just a bad job market (laughs) right and then you have this decade of so many changes, the age of the internet, whatnot. There's a widening inequality gap. You know, the gap, if you can add it to your podcast notes, I send you a picture, the inequality gap, it's widened like a big mouth, just opening wider and wider and wider, right? And the people at the top of the gap, millennials make up less than 1%. Mark Zuckerberg, that's it. That's who we have, right? <laughs> so, you know, there's so many, there's so many reasons. So basically, People earning the same thing that older generations were earning, you know, but now everything is so much more expensive. You know, the cost of living is high, but the minimum wage, how much people are making is not rising in accordance with the cost of living. Right. So these are just a few factors. I don't want to, you know, say I'm an expert on this, but if we were to speculate why millennials are so fucked up, so fudged. These are a few reasons. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I completely agree. And I think it's so tough, especially as you're trying to find yourself too. Like, I think, you know, one of the things that I always struggled with when taking a new job was like, you don't know if you're going to like that job. And I'm sure people always have kind of struggled with this. But I think what's so tough is like, you sign this like huge kind of scary thing. You're stuck doing this job. You know, if you have to leave your old job and it can just be kind of terrifying. And so I think there's a lot that's really kind of appealing about the gig economy because it allows you to kind of play around with different things. You can be a designer one day through Upwork and then an Uber each driver the next day, and then, you know, do something completely different, do coding or something the next day through Fiverr or whatever it is. And so I think there's something also that's just really interesting about allowing yourself to kind of dabble in a bunch of different things. But I think there's also probably the flip side of that, which is paradox of choice. It's like once you've gotten to dabble in 15 different things, it can probably be very difficult 
to narrow down. Like I know, you know, I go through this basically every like three years, I feel like so far. And like, I'm finally in a place where I actually love what I do and I'm excited about it. But I'd say throughout all my twenties, like every two or three years, I was having this like existential crisis of like, I'm doing this and I'm working my way up in this, but now I want to move laterally to this or move laterally to this. And it's scary because, you know, as we've been talking about, that's where your income is coming from. And so you just end up kind of getting stuck in like, I'm either going to take this job that I don't really love and I'm not that interested in just to have that steady paycheck, or I need to go and do like a bunch of different gigs to make even probably half of the same amount that I would make in kind of a corporate job. So I think it can be a benefit and also, you know, kind of scary when you're stuck in something like a gig economy. Yeah. The great dilemma of, you know, do you choose stability or do you choose passion? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, I know we've both talked about how we've kind of been through this and we learned so much from it. Like I always say that I learned so much more from my mistakes or my failures than when something goes right. Cause it's great when something goes right and it's nice to have it go right, but you also don't learn as much because you don't learn what didn't work. And so you kind of don't glean as much information, but for people who are going through this and are probably feeling scared and overwhelmed and maybe even excited, but what advice do you have for them as they're kind of going through this crisis to like embrace it and kind of get as much out of it as they can? Yeah. So if you're going through a quarter life crisis, first, I just have to say there is no cure. You're doomed. No. (laughs) If you're going through a quarter life crisis, you know, First, you have to understand that it is normal. I think a huge part of the struggle is that feeling of worry and alienation, right? And then it starts to affect your mental health and you're anxious, you're depressed, you feel like your friends have left you behind, you're comparing yourself to people on social media and you know you just go into a spiral. So you have to understand that it is normal. It is a challenge, but it's a challenge that you can face. Right. So first, acknowledge that to yourself. Second, I think people need to understand who they are and go back to now I'm going to sound like Gandhi, but go back to who you are, what your value system is or what you want it to be. You know, after I confessed to my family that I dropped out of that great program, my oldest brother, who's also creative, I knew he was going to supported and as expected he was like great finally (laughs) you know you're gonna do what you've always wanted to do but he asked a very important question that really helped stir my ship he said what are you giving to the world a lot of times which human nature we approach things from what we can get in the sense of oh I want a great job so that I can get a great salary yes you're giving your time and your talent of course but you're approaching it from, you know, what you can get, right? Going through a quarter life crisis and like, I would say people who are ready to make a big change, think of it of what can I give? Because giving is more satisfying. That discontent you have within you, this existential crisis or whatnot, when you start to give value, when you start to give what it is you were put in this world to give, you stop feeling that way right? It starts to feed your soul. So think what you can give. What is my talent? Can you draw? Fine. Start to draw for people. They're going to pay you, but that is you giving your talent, right? 
I love to write. Whenever I write, I feel like I'm, you know, helping people. I'm writing from my heart, giving my talent, right? So definitely, you know, think about what it is you can give. Next, I would say is remain grounded. It's so easy to, like we said at the beginning of the podcast, drop everything and pursue your dreams, leap off the cliff and whatnot. Yes, leap and you can learn to fly on the way down, but that's probably after you've fallen face flat many, many times. So be grounded and plan accordingly. If you're going to switch careers, make financial plans, save up, you know, stay at that shitty job for a few more months and save up, right? Or start something on the side, you know, think about how you can remain grounded because financial issues are a big trigger for quarter life crisis, you know, with the quintessential starving artist. It's great when you watch it in movies, but in reality, it sucks. (laughs) And you cannot be that creative if you have not eaten or paid your rent or your bills. So do not discount that always. And lastly, understand that the cost of inaction is higher than the cost of action. What that means is stepping out of your comfort zone, it's going to be hard. It's going to be a struggle, but it's so much better than remaining in this state where you feel drained. You know, you feel disconnected from who you are. You feel unfulfilled, et cetera. So do not be afraid. Make that leap. Like I said, with proper planning, (laughs) Step out of your comfort zone and it's going to hurt. And when it does hurt, don't run back in. Keep going and eventually things will get better. That's what I have to say. Wow. That was like, I feel like all of those were like so perfectly quotable. That was amazing. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I think, I always think back to this quote and I know it's like such an overused quote, but it's like, you always regret the things you don't do, not the things you do. And I think about that so many times when I'm on like the precipice of needing to do something new or needing to kind of close my eyes and take a leap. And it can be so scary, but I think, you know, you're almost, I at least find in my business, Mm -hmm. I'm always the most scared before I've done something like the fear of what could be is always greater than like what actually is. And so I think it's so easy to kind of get stuck in sitting there wondering and kind of terrified about it. But then once you actually just kind of close your eyes and take that leap, you realize like, oh, it wasn't kind of as bad as it, as I thought it could be, or even if it was as bad, I can fix it. And I know how to kind of go about it. And I learned something and I gleaned something from it. And so I think that is definitely definitely like really good advice. You obviously put it way more eloquently than I did, but I I think that's so helpful for people. No, you have a great point. And like you said, when you make that leap, the next time you're faced with a similar situation, you're better equipped to make another leap, right? Which goes back to the idea of quarter life crisis. It's not something you fix. It's something you learn to navigate. Life is always going to be some type of way. That is the, the, the sign of growth, the sign that you're living. There's going to be things you're going to navigate 
you know, obstacles are going to come your way, choices you have to make. Once you learn to operate from this place of your value system and a place of giving, giving to the world, all these obstacles, the big questions of life, the big decisions, you learn to navigate them with more ease because you're at peace with yourself and you understand yourself. You've grown, you're mature. You have a better understanding of what it is that you want out of life. So if I were to summarize like what it is to navigate a quarter life crisis, that's what I would say. Yeah, no. And I think coming at it from a place of helping people is really kind of the key because I think it's so easy, as you were saying, to think about what you get out of something. But I think when you're kind of most you know, upset or like you most kind of don't like a job, it's usually because deep down you feel like what you're doing isn't valuable. You know, for me, my kind of like straw that broke the camel's back was my last client was ExxonMobil. And it wasn't, you know, I blamed it all day long on, I don't like social media strategy, or I don't like project management, or I'm tired of the agency world. And all those things were true. Mm -hmm. But really at the end of the day, it was that I was coming home and I was making ExxonMobil more billions. And it's, it just wasn't aligned with my value system. It just wasn't what I felt like I wanted to use my precious time here to do and a company that I truly believed in and wanted to push forward. And I think, you know, now when I'm doing website design and I get to hear all of these incredible stories from these, you know, solopreneurs that started their business because some particular thing happened or, you know, their backs were up against a wall or, you know, they decided that something wasn't right for them and they really want to pursue their passion. It's like, I sit down at the end of the day and all those people that I helped, it's like, I got to help them tell their story and I got to change their lives in a way. And then they go on to change other people's lives. And it's so much more satisfying. You know, I love what I do. I love the website design and the strategy and all of that, but I don't ever really sit down anymore and kind of nitpick. Do I like website design? Do I like strategy? I sit down and think like, you know, I helped Sarah this week or I helped Emily this week. It's like a totally different way of looking at it. Yeah. And just to point out when you help Sarah and Emily, they paid you, right? Yes. Right. Because we're not living on a wish. And so I just want to point out to that very great point you talked about of what value are you giving and how you feel if you're making a, a change. But I want to speak to people who, like, if you have a great job at, like, Facebook, which currently is evil now, allegedly, or whatever, or, you know, companies that, you know, arguably do damage or whatever, you're not a bad person. We're not saying you're a bad person. We're not saying quit your job and go work for a nonprofit or volunteer at a shelter. We're saying... Look within yourself. If you can justify to yourself that being here, I'm creating value. Maybe you're a team lead and you're running a really great team and making their jobs better, their lives better. You are creating value within that ecosystem, right? So look within yourself. Are you creating value? Is what you're doing aligned with your values or what you want? If what you want is to make the most money and just be just like, just to make money, Fine. Is that what you want? And you can tell yourself, this is really what I want. This is what makes me happy, regardless of what I do. Then fine. But don't escape that question. Don't push it aside because it will eat away at you. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think that's an important point, an important nuance to that as well. 
And so I know you've given so many nuggets throughout this episode, but as we wrap up here, if you could go back and tell that person who was like just before they decided to leave the PhD program and you wish that there was a piece of advice you could go back and give to yourself, what would it be? Oh my God. I don't know. I was so smart back then. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. I would say more long-term planning. So just real quick, you know, I have a friend who I met in Madrid and when around when we met with between like first five minutes, you know, of like a deep conversation, he's like, what's your five-year plan? I'm like, what, 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 what now? I'm like, what's your five-year plan? And he had a very clear attainable five-year plan. I did not, you know, I'm just living by the day, one glass of wine at a time. Your listeners are going to think I'm an alcoholic. (laughs) But if I could go back and tell myself back then, I would say make a proper long-term plan. I knew what I wanted to do in the short term, without a doubt, right? But I was in Spain for a few years, and then I moved to New York in 2019, like I said, and started uh, this master's program, which was great, at the new school. If I had better planning, I would have done that sooner, right? Or made a more significant leap towards my dreams after dropping out. I just kind of was just like too chill. So I would go back and tell myself to make proper long-term plan, long-term as in like at least a five-year overview. Yeah, I think that's good advice. It's funny you use those words because on my first date with my now husband at age 22, I asked him what his five-year plan was. Oh, wow. (laughs) And he said that was like the moment that he knew that I was a keeper. But it's funny because back then the five-year plan I had was absolutely not the plan that turned out to be. And so I think, you know, it's so important to plan ahead and I think it's fantastic advice, but I think, you know, I would almost caveat that with saying, have a goal and have that plan, but be flexible to adapting as you learn more about yourself and discover new things. Definitely. Because I think it's great advice to kind of keep your eye forward and really think through that. But I also think, at least for me, I was so rigid at the time in my five-year plan that I wasn't allowing myself to react to things. And I wasn't kind of as tuned in to my mental state as I should have been. And things got out of hand in terms of being overworked and hustling and all these things, because I was so focused on just like, this is my goal and I have to reach it no matter what. Yeah, of course. Great point of being flexible. Definitely. So if people want to read the magazine or get in touch with you, tell us how they can do that. Well, you can go online to cleverishmagazine.com and then we're on social at cleverishmag on Instagram, Pinterest, and Facebook. Yeah, social media is cleverishmag and the website is cleverishmagazine.com. And I also send out a weekly newsletter called the Quarter Life Crisis Newsletter, QLC. So if you can sign up as well, that would be great. And every Sunday, I have a more intimate conversation about quarter life crisis. It's a very short newsletter, but it's great from what I've heard <laughs> from my family. They're like, <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, so those are my links. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It's such a pleasure to talk to you always. And I think this is so interesting. So I think people are going to love this episode. Thank you for having me. I had a great time talking with you and talking about myself. 
Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast with yours truly, Isabel Caitlin. If you love the show, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I love hearing from all of you. Share it with a friend, family, colleague, or anyone you know who may benefit from this episode. Remember, you can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at stripedogcreative.com. All right, that's it for today. See you next time.